0: Elevation has this, you know, monitoring form and things like that. And every year we are uh, part of our compliance is to do an RFEP monitoring. Mm -hmm. So my team and I were like, well, they're already used to doing that. What if we integrate into that, not just to monitor RFEP as a checklist thing? What if we also use that tool for all ELs and then all teachers that have all ELs In the elementary and then core classes in the secondary were to complete this form.
1: Rowena Mac, welcome back to In This Together, our third episode uh, together and a lot has changed in Saddleback since we last talked. We were just talking offline. I'd love for you to just give us an update because you have a lot going on right now.
0: Sure, we have uh, returned back to in-person instruction Unlike neighboring districts that did those in a staggered schedule, we, we all did it at once. So elementary and secondary returned back to in-person instruction both at the same time. And that's been a, a few weeks now, I want to say, I think two, three weeks now since we have been back. And so it's still hybrid instruction in that half of the time they are in person. And then the other time they are doing distance learning to kind of facilitate the splits of the group. And then the split of the group actually looks a little bit different in elementary and in high school, um, just because of content area and elementary instruction. And then we still have some groups of students that decided to just do full distance learning the entire year. So we have teachers that are also just assigned to teaching full on distance learning for the entire year.
1: So you basically have all three models happening at once and it happened like all of a sudden.
0: It did, it did happen all of a sudden. It's probably a lot earlier than a lot of people would have wanted. But um, I think there was a lot of eagerness and maybe even some um, expectation from the community that we returned back to school. Um, And when the county really released, um, took us off of the list, Um, we really use that as an opportunity to kind of like, well, we're we're good to go. We're good to go. And now I know that the numbers keep on fluctuating. So it's not like, okay, this is going to be it for the rest of the school year. We always still have this worry and anticipation that, you know, we may go back to full-on distance learning. So, but at least we've experienced what that looks like. And that's not something that we hadn't done before. So I think that's why probably there was a lot of, um, Of um, eagerness and anxiety right before the return to school, because we were trying to plan for every single scenario.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, most of the folks that I'm speaking with on In This Together, uh, the four other people that I'm chatting with, and people are sort of getting ready to do that. They're taking maybe a gradual approach. Although right. Vicki Saldala from Broward, she started actually, they go fully back, I think next week, they were starting on Thursday, that's a big district. So they're right. doing something similar where the state has said, you're clear to go and they've kind of had yeah. to follow suit. Um, Let's let's kind of hone in on those English learners because I'm sure just like the rest of the population, they are finding themselves kind of in different instructional settings depending on the choices that they've made. Do you have sure. a sense first of um, sort of how many of those, what percentage maybe approximately of those students are doing remote as opposed to that hybrid model? And then I guess the follow-up to that would be... It's pretty early, but have you seen any kind of challenges in terms of equity with students coming in and then with the ones that have decided maybe to stay home? I know it's a lot, so feel free to take that apart if you need
0: no, to. No, no, that's okay. I wish I had an actual percentage for you, and I wish I understood um, because, you know, you only hear it when it's not going well, right? Yeah, so yeah. So I've been uh, visiting a lot with teachers and doing a lot of office hours with them specifically for ELs. And it's really it's really a mixed bag. In the high school, attendance is a lot better than I really anticipated, you know, because we would say like, oh, those high school kids, if they could sleep in all day, they're probably going to sleep in all day. But I think the flexibility of this schedule actually models more what they might experience at the university level. Uh, once they're there. So I think we're finding out with those, you know, younger adults, if you may, in high school, that that's actually working out for them. And so they're going, you know, they're going. At the elementary, it's really still, um, it it isn't so much as I was telling you offline, it isn't so much are they attending, but I really want to start gathering some data of what percentage of our ELs are in full distance learning only.
1: Right, right? because that's a choice that they could make, right?
0: That's a choice that they can make. And I'm worried about that. I'm worried that if it's a significant number, just because I truly believe that more of them should be back in campus. And uh, maybe we'll have an opportunity later on to talk about some plans that we're trying to cook up to return English learners back all of them full-time in the campus uh, for the remainder of the school year.
1: Yeah, well, let's talk about that right now, if you don't mind. It seems like it's a good sure. time to, to chat about it because my, my follow-up to that was, you know, you, you your English learners in particular are sort of getting a different experience. On the one hand, you know, one thing that we've talked about, I think I've talked about with you and, and quite a lot of others as well, is that teachers and students in many ways have kind of become more comfortable with this remote learning thing. And so a lot of the anxiety comes with what's it going to look like when we go back, right? Right, um, right. But once you do go back and that sort of first group goes back or the people who opt in go back, that anxiety subsides and they go back to yeah. you know in-person instruction which I think everybody believes at least for this particular group of students that ELS is 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 better. Um, mm-hmm. so I'd I'd love for you to talk about what what plans you have to get them back if maybe they've decided to stay remote. And or um, those those kids who decided to stay remote who are English learners, you know how are you going to give them kind of an equitable um, experience?
0: Sure. If I could generalize, I think the reasons why English learner families may have decided to keep their kiddos at home is less more about their fear of safety procedures, but really for the schedule of their families. It's very hard if you have an a.m., p.m. schedule to only say I'm going to drop them off at 8 o'clock, but then I'll have to pick them up at 1130 or that I have all morning and then I have to go drop them off at 1130 and pick them up at 330. I mean, not many families have the luxury of that type of flexibility of schedule. So I think what that put families is, is in a difficult position to simply be just like, well, then just stay home just stay home because no one's gonna drop you off. You know, No one's gonna pick you up. So at least that's a constant, even though that that's not ideal. Um, in at, at high school, less so. It's really in elementary that we're finding out the ELs are being put in a position where they have to choose distance learning because of scheduling um, challenges. So what I'm working out with our elementary leadership is what would it look like if we continue with hybrid instruction and if they're either a.m. or p.m., that's fine. But on the off time that they're supposed to be home during asynchronous learning, we keep them in campus and we would open up then um, study centers, lab centers, if you may, and we would staff them with supervision. So what everything they're supposed to be doing at home, they would just be doing in campus. So I would need to find spaces for them at the various campus and additional staff to be there because they would just be Zooming anyway, right? They would be in Zoom doing their independent tasks or um, doing doing some of those asynchronous tasks that their teachers have designed for them. But I think it's better if they stay in campus, it's better if there's somebody that's supervising them and checking in with them. And if there's somebody there that they can ask questions, can keep them on task and make sure that they are getting the support that they need. Um, So I'm exploring that possibility. I'm also exploring the possibility of, so that would only be at the, that's the elementary plan. The secondary plan, I would, I would think is the same, but again, it's a little bit more challenging because the way that it is, it's not like it's just an AM, PM. They're in person depending if uh, what their classes are, what periods of the day. So, similarly, I would say I would just open up labs in the, in the school campus and, and staff them with people. And then you're either going in person, in, you know, if, a, if your class can accommodate you in person, your teacher can accommodate you, you go. If they cannot accommodate you when you're not scheduled to be there in person, then you're still in campus, but you're in this um, EL center, if you may. So, those are the two things I'm exploring. You know, it's really difficult sometimes to begin with, like, well, we can't do that. So you know, as I'm working with people out in terms of like what are the supports that we we need to provide for ELs, I encourage them not to begin with the logistics that make it impossible or difficult, but rather the need. What is the need? What is yeah. the support that we need to provide? Let's start there and backfill that with the logistics that we know that we can do. Um, so that's one thing. I also want to explore a Saturday academy. If I can open up a Saturday academy in regional. Centers, not for every site, but maybe by zones in neighborhood and things like that, where again it would be staff with EL staff, teachers, instructional assistants, whoever's willing to come in. Um and so I'd be able to maximize the resources that have been afforded to us by the CARES Act and um and really utilize that very intentionally.
1: Yeah. Thank you for sharing that with us. I think that's that's very helpful and you know, I don't think that I've sort of heard as detailed of a not necessarily a plan yet, but of a of a plan that's in construction from from anyone. Although I have heard a lot of different things about, you know, the benefits not only of doing this logistically um, for families who can't sort of get their kids to and from school with the schedules they have. That's totally understandable. So that gets to the the equity point in terms of families needing to work and this particular demographic really being affected by that as opposed to um, others who have that flexibility that you were talking about. I mean, the other thing that's good about that, I feel like, is that if you do it in the right way, you're beginning to stagger having Mm -hmm. more students in and figuring out what it looks like to have more students in the building for more time and sort of testing it as you go, um, which which is so crucially important. I mean, that's, yeah. I feel like that's the model that as I talked to Dr. Adrian Johnson in in Hearn, which is a rural district in a different situation, but they are doing that. They're taking that staggered approach. And he even said, you know, they they actually had... I don't know if you've experienced this, but he had some issues with people being exposed to COVID on the school staff and students, and Mm -hmm. a couple positive cases, actually. And Mm -hmm. he actually, you know, which which you hear it and you know it's happening, but when you hear from someone you know and you speak with, your heart Mm kind of goes out. But he really took a positive approach to that. He said, you know, because we took a staggered approach and because we were able to know exactly who these people were and where they were, and we did the contact tracing, we now know what we need to do to sort of scale this up when it's bigger. And he attributes right. that as, as, you know, it's a shame that, that people, I guess everybody's healthy and fine, but it's a shame that that, that happened, but it probably is going to happen at some point mm-hmm. to most districts. And if it's going to happen, it should be happening in the most controlled environment possible. And again, staggering people in um, is a great way to go about doing that. Yeah. So I think probably you're on the right track there.
0: Yeah, we're excited. We're excited about making it possible for the kids.
1: Yeah, so making it possible for the kids is one thing. Um, I've talked to a lot of teachers uh, recently. Mm -hmm. How how are you making it possible for them? I mean, how are they feeling? They must be, I mean, I was speaking with, um, you know, Vicky from Broward brought on a a literacy coach from one of her high schools uh, in our last episode that we just released. Um, Her name is Melissa Cabrera, and she just gave a very honest, transparent, sort of Mm -hmm. um, painted a picture of what it was like for her. And you can tell that she's passionate and she's doing amazing things. But she's certainly under a lot of stress, and yeah. and working with what she has. So, I guess my question is: Do you have a, a pulse of how your teachers are feeling right now? What are some some triumphs and challenges that you've seen them uh, deal with over the last couple of weeks?
0: Absolutely. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the same generosity and be very transparent as well with our experience. You know, when we returned back to school back in the spring, we said, um, "Hey, let's support our ELs," but there wasn't a firm stipulation that you must provide designated ELD. Well, that of course shifted when we returned back to school. And I'd be lying if I didn't tell you that, you know, I got called into the principal's office as the ELD coordinator uh, saying like, hey, there's grumblings among the union saying like, this is unfair. How can they be expected to still provide 30 minutes of designated ELD instruction? Um, When there's only two and a half hour blocks that they're with kids, that's not fair to their EOs and to the other kids. All of that good stuff. So maybe, and I was really afraid that when that was brought up, because it seemed to suggest that what I was being asked to do is pull back on that expectation Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. can you please pull back can you retract your statement and your expectation about that and you know we were like it was a firm but a very understanding no you know and it's like no we have we have to provide that however these are the supports that we're going to provide for teachers right so my team and i went you know as if we haven't been already develop a ton of resources for teachers with very specific models examples templates and then we opened up all of these office hours by site for teachers to just come in and to say like brainstorm ideas with us and things like that and we definitely had teachers like the teachers that were like Knew what they had to do or were prepared to adjust accordingly. They're not going to be the ones that necessarily attend those office hours, right? So we did have some of those uh, voices, if you may, that I think they were ready to fight. They were ready to fight in those right. office hours and be like, Bro, I know, what are what are you doing to me, you know? And so, again, I I just really called the elephant in the room and I said, let's begin with this grumbling of 30-minute designated ELD. If we get hung up on the time, we're not going to go anywhere because that's what you're thinking the whole time is you're not going to make it fit, okay? Again, back to what I said earlier, let's begin with what is the need. I have two students. You have two students. Your need is going to, their needs are going to be different than a class that have 15 ELs in that class. And let's figure out what those different models are. So we we thought about, we, we talked through different models, different possibilities, combining uh, a concurrent classroom with AMPM, splitting the ELs in multiple among multiple teachers of the same grade level and alternating the instruction that way. You know, all of these different models. And at the end of it, I think, you know, it really came to a place like Okay, you know, maybe I haven't won everyone. That's not really my point either, but I think it did open up some understanding. So that's what it is for uh, the elementary. the secondary i'm I'm really pleased with how things are going, just because I said, you know, like I said, the attendance was really low there, and it helped that attendance is being taken. Um, and so the teachers are reporting you know really good things, and we are finally able to talk curriculum at the secondary level.
1: Oh good. So that's, I mean, and I feel like as time has gone on, we've talked a lot about that with lots of folks about how, hey, when is when is it going to be time to focus on curriculum and instruction mm-hmm. and, and differentiation? Um, but it does seem like there's never a time that you can let your sort of uh, grip go of making sure that you're establishing relationships and continuing right. to nurture social emotional learning. Right. So it has to happen um, at the same time, which, you know, kind of brings me to my next my next question, you know, when you talk about instruction, the big thing that comes up now is learning loss. I mean, this Mm -hmm. is a word or an expression that I hear so much and that I know Mm -hmm. lots of my colleagues at elevation are hearing from our partner district. How do we mitigate this learning loss? What tools do you elevation have in place that can help us mitigate the learning loss? So I guess at this point, um, as we approach mid October, Mm -hmm. um, one, have you been able to identify it and and areas where it exists? And I'm sure it's different among different different students.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and two, have you been able to put in, um, you know, strategies or ideas or solutions to be able to kind of mitigate that learning loss that that uh, that's being perceived by many?
0: Sure. So at the elementary level, I may have talked about this in a previous session that we were together, that we were able to adapt a diagnostic that would identify where the gaps are for ELA and math. So I think just about every single one of our school site has finished their baseline, you know, uh, beginning of the year administration of that. So we have data on that. We just finished. We've h- now hired twenty-five tier two intervention teachers. So these are forty percent teachers, and what they're going to be doing is they're going to provide small group instruction for those students that we have identified as a result of iReady which will be a different mindset for teachers once we explain, it's very exciting. Those, those that truly understand true MTSS, true RTI and the power of data, but how data needs to be used for intervention, are really excited about that but I also predict that there are some teachers that are like, great, tier two, I can start recommending Johnny, I can start recommending Mary. We're like, no, not really. (laughs) We have a specific purpose for that. So we're gonna start training for those teachers next week. And and hopefully the next time that we talk, I I can talk a little bit about what those experiences are like um, and what we're doing specifically for them. Um, The secondary, we haven't quite developed what we're going to do, but we know that we have a space for academic intervention. Thinking about elevation tools, um, you may be familiar that elevation has this, you know, monitoring form and things like that. And sure every is. year, we are uh, part of our compliance is to do an RFEP monitoring. Mm-hmm. So my team and I were like, well, they're already used to doing that. What if we integrate into that not just to monitor RFEP to as a checklist thing? What if we also use that tool for? all ELs and then all teachers that have all ELs in the elementary and then core classes in the secondary were to complete this form. So we actually developed a form um, that they would uh, complete through elevation. But what I liked about the process that we have set up is that we really delineated it. it it's not just like, is the student making progress? What does the student need help? I really specify, is the student ready to learn? Let's talk about readiness to learn. Like, do they have the device? Are they zooming in with you on a regular basis? Are they showing up their faces when they're in Zoom to ensure that they're actually present? You know? And then there's like a classroom engagement piece. Are they actually participating? Are they completing their work? And then based on classroom assessment, are you able to identify if there's a language skill support or a content area support? And then we would use that data then to be more intentional about the support because. Yes, we have learning loss. Yes, we need to, but I don't know what we can address if we don't know what the problem is. Right, right. And I don't want this to be a catch-all just because you're an EL, you need a support. No, that may be true. You will need support, but what kind of support? You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's very different. Like, do you just need someone to hold your hand and help you navigate the Google Classroom? Or is it really that you need some help in foundational skills? So those are the things we're excited to. And so we're going to launch that uh, on Monday, that progress monitoring for elementary, and then give teachers a couple of weeks, and then pair that up with our diagnostic data to really start putting kids in the right basket.
1: Good. Yeah. And you just summed it up like I was going to sum it up, which is that it sounds like you're using a lot of different things and data points, both you know, in terms of assessments that you've been able to give until now mm-hmm. um, and more uh, kind of formative uh, stuff in the terms uh, of, um, you know, along the lines of monitoring forms that everybody is filling out. And boy, I, I I think that's a great idea with the monitoring forms as someone who trained for elevation in a lot of different districts. And I certainly won't mm-hmm. mention any district names. There are some districts that are using it very, very well, like the way that you're using it. But there are many districts that are just, it's, it's a compliance thing, right? Mm-hmm. Check the box mm-hmm. and move on. Um, and so to be able to, um, to make that sort of how you want it to customize it in a way mm-hmm. that is helpful for you to get the information that you want. That's great. And I'll definitely be curious to see how that goes. Um, it, not that it's because it's an elevation tool, just because I think it's a great way to get information um, mm-hmm. next time we talk. Quick quick follow-up question, because I think people are wondering about this, or I know I was. You said that you have been able to hire, um, I think it was 40% folks that were going to be interventionists. How are you able to do that? Like where did right. those funds come from? If you don't mind me
0: asking. No, no, from the um, from, you know, every district has to write a learning continuity plan, which replaced the LCAP. And then there were extra funding stimulus funding that were given to districts in order to address all of the learning loss and support for specific populations of student groups. Um, And so, you know, that is good and bad in a way, because, like I said, pandemic had to happen before resources had to be allocated. But you know what, I'm not going to get hung up on that. I'm going to celebrate the fact that we have this pot of resources, and we're finally able to put MTSS into play, and the things that we know that we need to provide for students. So that is where that is coming from, being able to hire those teachers come from that. And at first, we were told that we had to use all of that by the end of the school uh, not calendar year but then it was extended so then we have some time to do that so then we're like okay you know and so we really earmarked those for 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 very specific uses but we knew that uh, a big chunk of it will go to intervention
1: good that's good to hear i'm glad i asked that question and i know that you know for most people that funding is—it's there, and they know what it's for. But I do feel like there's a lot of people who are, I mean, myself included, just very confused about the whole how you fund what and how you get the people that you need. Um, mm-hmm. And that—that's—that's that's a whole job in and of itself, just figuring right. out how all that works. Right. Um, and not one that I would be particularly good at.
0: <laughs> oh, <No, frankly. laughs> I hardly balance my checkbook, Steve.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm on the same page. My wife does that. Um, <laughs> so uh, I, I want to i want to talk about just maybe like we've we've been doing this for a few weeks now and um i think it's probably um we could probably ask this question fairly i want to know if the, what sort of one thing that you feel like your district is doing particularly well that others might be able to learn from who are listening to this and i know that's a that's a big question we've already talked about some things but maybe reflecting in the last couple of weeks you know, is there a way that you could describe something that you've done that is kind of replicable maybe in other places that you feel like has gone particularly well at Saddleback? And then to get you ready, I'll ask you the opposite of that question. Sure.
0: Sure. I think we are doing really well in communicating to our stakeholders, communicating to our teachers, communicating to our principals, and communicating to our families. With that said, some may argue that I don't like what you're communicating, but it's communication (laughs) nonetheless, you know, it's like, and some of it is like, I'm sorry, we're just telling you this right now. We just got word from the governor that this is what we have to do. So those are sometimes, you know, some of the challenges. So even back in um, the spring, we started out the, the superintendent's office put out a COVID newsletter. So there are, you know, COVID updates and even something super simple as numbering them as COVID newsletter update number one, two, three, four, so that they could keep on following those things. Um, And then so utilizing that, utilizing the communications office, making sure we utilize our bilingual parent advocates and our community liaisons in terms of reaching out to our families. Um, If it means translating those documents, which we do already, making videos that walk them through the process, giving them extended hours so that they can individually reach out to families. And for our elementary and secondary directors having very regular communication um, systems with their principals, providing those principals with templates of communication that they can customize for their school, but at least it has all the you know, basic information that they need to know. I mean, those may seem kind of simple, but those are really the things that's like, how are we going to scale up and multiply this communication? Because it's going to be very easy to lose a detail. So as much as possible, kind of, you know, control the message in the way that it's like you're getting the same information.
1: Yeah, and I think there are two key takeaways, at least for me. There, one is you're sort of differentiating the way that you're communicating with people. Uh You know, you mentioned simple newsletters, Uh um, videos, all kinds of different ways. Everybody, I've certainly learned, you know, through this work that there are Uh some people who love to watch the video of you and I chatting, but there are many people who say, "I don't need that video; just give me the audio, and I'll listen to it," or just give me a transcript, or give me a. So you know, you have to make sure that you differentiate as much for students as you do for parents, which I think (laughs) sometimes gets lost in translation. Um. The other thing that I that I, I I'm hearing from uh what you're saying, and I think is also um really important is that you are not afraid to tell people what they don't want to hear. Your words, not mine. I mean, I think that's <laughs> important because you can be faced with this, like, really, like the governor is saying this and we have to do this. And there can yes. be this like ne- like paralysis, like, how right. do I communicate this message? How do I tailor it the exact right way so people are okay? But at a certain point, there's going to be, especially now, news that certainly not everybody's happy with. And I, I imagine right. there's some news that everybody's like, what? But yeah. that's that's an art form, being able to right. get it out you know, to people quickly and in a way that they may be angry, but it's understandable.
0: Yeah, yeah. We have heard because uh, the schedule of it is really Friday afternoon. And sometimes depending on how good or bad the news is. <laughs> Dep- that's <laughs> and, how your weekend goes. And the teachers are like... I don't want that bomb to be dropped on a Friday afternoon that I keep on thinking about it all weekend long, but it's like, well, we need to give you the information and it needs to be, you know, the brain works out of habit and everyone needs to know like, when is that going to come out? You know, Mm -hmm. every Friday, there's something that's coming out, you know?
1: Right. Um, Well, aside from sending those things out on Friday, I'm joking, (laughs) but um, what, what is something that you feel like you, you, you could do better or that you're looking to, other district like yours for mm-hmm. some support or for some information? Like if you're watching this series, what is mm-hmm. something that you'd like to hear somebody tell you to do in a, in a more efficient way, let's say?
0: I'd love to hear more ideas and what people are doing for those academic interventions. I think everyone is saying, and they're not lying about this, like we're gonna provide additional support. You know, We're gonna go above and beyond and give our ELs what they need, but what exactly are you doing? And how do we know that it's actually kind of like above and beyond, particularly at the secondary level, because I am getting impatient with the excuse of like, but we're secondary, we're so different, we're so complicated. And you're like, it's, yeah, maybe, but it's really at the end of the day, kind of like corralling people, corralling resources, putting systems in place and making sure places you know people are in the right places where they need to be and things like that you know I think if we just give up on this like mindset of like that's not going to be possible you know it's like let's let's not begin there you know when you begin there it's like it's it's icky but it's not a good place to begin already so um, I'd love to hear more and I uh, ideas on that and I'm continuing to kind of watch out from districts and I haven't heard a whole lot you know Uh, which means it is a collective work that needs to happen.
1: I think you're right. It's a question that I've asked. I mean, and I I haven't given up asking it, um, but I I also have a lot of, I give interviewees a lot of leeway on it because there's just so much going on. And actually, frankly, most people will say, yeah, we're not there yet. Although say what Mm -hmm. you say, which is, boy, I'd love to see some more specifics about what's going on. Um, What has Made me happy and inspired me in, in some strange way, is the transparency that people mm-hmm. have, um, you know, from a from a, a classroom teacher to uh, a, a superintendent to a, an EL coordinator like yourself, who's, who's responsible for it was in a leadership position. I mean, people are being totally honest, and I think. You know, I think the higher you go up, and you've, I have not been in in, in, a, in a leadership position in a school, so I, I maybe I'm speculating a little bit, but I do feel my experience of a teacher uh, tells me that the higher you go up on the on the ladder, the mm-hmm. more your answers become almost political, you know, mm-hmm. and less transparent and more. Let me make sure I'm saying this in the right way, you know, mm-hmm. like like it's some presidential debate. You know, people are yeah. trying to dodge <laughs> questions, but it's not happening now. People are not dodging questions. In fact, people are giving yeah. me more information than I usually ask for, which right. I think is is a good thing. And hopefully that's one of the silver linings that we have, because if we all work together and, and kind of be vulnerable a little bit, um, it can lead to some change. Are you seeing that too? Like are folks like in your district and leadership, people being pretty honest and transparent about what what their needs are and their deficiencies are?
0: Oh, my gosh. Just even the other day, I was checking in with a director who works with our principals. And I was like, how are you doing? And, (laughs) you know, it's a lot for her. And she is a very resilient, strong leader. And she's like, I just cried in front of all my principals. I just cried. You know, it's like, I just, my heart goes out to them and the work that they're doing. And I it's so hard, you know, and for her to say that, and I was like, wow, that you would admit that, or that you would do that in front of them. um, She she might have stifled that in the past, you know.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I've seen a lot of that. I mean, I've seen people, even in just a couple of the last interviews I've done, you know, people kind of are at the verge of tears, Not, not so much because they're like, they have no idea what to do next, but because they're yeah. just like, man, I feel like I'm in a place now where I can do this. And yeah. I can kind of be like, all right, I you know I need help, right. which is good because I remember being like for the first three to five years of my teaching career and I started teaching when I was twenty two, I didn't ask for help. You know, that yeah. was a sign of weakness, um, yeah. which was terrible because it it would have made me such a better teacher had I asked for help. And I think it probably took me five years to be able to, you know, do that. And I hope now, particularly for newer teachers, that um, that that culture has has changed. I think that's one silver lining here for sure.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, all right, so well, let's 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 wrap it up here. I'm, I'm curious, um, you know, we have we have one more definitely one more um, conversation together, uh, you and I, and there's been a lot of changes. And I imagine in the next couple weeks, um, there'll probably be a lot more. Um, but what are you, what's top of mind for you right now? What do you hope to be seeing or moving on, um, in the next couple of weeks that we can kind of talk more about?
0: I hope to share some more specific wins about the academic interventions we're putting into place.
1: I figured you'd say that.
0: Yeah. I hope I can give you some update on all of those crazy ideas that I'm cooking up with some of our leadership team. I hope we can make even one of them happen. Even if, you, even if I were given just a couple of sites where we could prototype it, you know, um, we just really need to get started. We just really need to be courageous and say like, let's just do this. Gosh, there's nothing that is standard to what we've been doing for the past eight months. What's another new idea? What's another innovative idea? And I think this is the time to really explore that. So I hope that I can give you some specificity about not only the structure and the plan, but actual outcomes that are based on student success.
1: Well, that would be just as helpful to other districts as what you wanted in terms of academic inter- interventions for yours. So I really hope that we can, um, that we can get that out of you as well. Um, but in the meantime, best of luck with everything. I know that there's a lot going on. Um, I, as always, I appreciate your time, your transparency um, and the information that you give us um, from your district in Saddleback Valley, California, because it's it's really always quite useful. And I always enjoy the conversation, Rowena, so I really appreciate it and we'll see you next time.
0: Thank you, Steve, take care.